We are wrapping up our series this morning, uh, Homeschool. And let me reiterate, thank you so much for being here this morning. It is truly a joy to be able to come and, and share God's Word this morning. Claire and I celebrated our sixth anniversary yesterday, so I'm very thankful for her. We are also on the precipice of having our second child, baby Layla Grace. Uh, we're hoping that we can last her out one more week, right? So, so we've had fun with that. Um, and I told Claire, as, as only my eyeballs were sticking out from behind the, the covers in bed last night, freezing to death, I said, jokingly, of course, and I hope I don't get in trouble for this, that she's never allowed to be with child during the summer months ever again. And since we only have two or three months of winter down here in the south, I'm not sure that will ever happen. But we're excited. We have some fun things on the horizon with Layla and just watching our family grow. And, you know, it's just a constant reminder for us as parents to hit our knees each and every night as we're tucking Liam into bed and we're, we're trying to get into this habit of not only getting him quiet and getting the sound machine on and getting him calmed down so that when we put him in his crib, he's ready to conk out. But we're also trying to create a habit where every night we come together in prayer as a family. And we're modeling before him what that looks like for mom and dad, just as Brian preached to model obedience to Christ. Because if, if we do it, then, then we're staying prayerful that that example will be modeled for him and that he will catch on and desire that in his own life. Uh, this morning we're going to focus particularly on children in the family. Now this is not to undermine the role of mom and dad. This is not to undermine the role of how husbands should treat their wives and how wives should treat their husbands as Joby so delicately preached. Um, and he's still alive, so I know he did that delicately. But this is to put emphasis on the role that adolescents, that teens, that students have in the home. Not only in the home, but also all of us, myself included, as as I have parents still living, and God has given me a mandate as well to obey and to honor my parents in the Lord. So moms and dads, I don't want you to check out this morning. In fact, I want you to tune in, because not only am I going to be preaching to what I would consider my students, but I'm preaching to myself and all of us as well. We are living in a culture where the family and the church are under constant attack. The two institutions mandated by God, the church and the family, are being constantly attacked. There's this uh, story of a gray-haired, seasoned man, and he's got his life vest on with his uh, delicate flies attached. He's a fly fisherman, and he's got his hat with all of his lures, and he's got his a wading basket that he can put his fish in, and he's got his fly rod, and he's standing by the stream, and he's casting, 
you know, 10 and 2, 10 and 2, 10 and 2, looking for that perfect cast that the fly will float down the stream. And all of a sudden, he, he sees a, a canoe coming his way. And there's a, there's a boy about seven years old in the canoe. He's not real sure of his age, but he knows he's, he's too young to be in a canoe by himself. But there he is all by himself. And the boy, as he gets closer to the man, the boy realizes that, that he's losing control of his canoe. And he sees the man, he's crying out, help, 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 mister, 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 help me, help me. So, so the, the seasoned gray-haired man does everything he can in his fragile state. But he finally reaches out and he grabs the canoe and he pulls it to shore. And he says, son, what's going on? He said, I don't know, I'm just in this canoe by myself. But I know where to go from here. And so the boy walks on and goes about his business. The man continues to fish. And the next thing you see is, is a boy in a boat without a paddle, without a vest. He's coming down and he's, he's screaming even more frantically because his canoe is going all over the place. And so the man does the same thing. He reaches out and he, he grabs the canoe. He pulls him to the shore and he saves him. And then he sees a boy coming down who's just not even in a boat, but he's just in the stream flailing about frantically, gasping for air, hoping that he will survive. And the man reaches out and saves him. And just time after time after time, these kids are coming down more desperate than the first. And, and they have these extreme situations and finally the man is worn out. He saves so many kids that he literally has no strength and he plops himself down on the bank of the stream and he watches as child after child after child passes by with no one to help and he's done everything he can. The state of our families is in great distress. We have kids we have little boys, little girls, we have young men and young women who are crying out for help. And mom and dad are nowhere to be seen. The odds are stacked against our children. I think that's fair to say. I think it's fair to say the odds are stacked against them. They have so many things going on. We have misguided parents, parents who are working for the home, nicer uh, accommodations in the house, uh, new countertops and a new satellite TV and a, a better computer and nicer furniture and a new dog kennel and on and on and on. They're working so hard for the house that they are misguided and not working in the house. We have divorced parents at an alarming rate. Kids are now learning to, to cope with living in this family and this house and abiding by these rules and then on the weekends going to this family and this house and trying to learn to abide by these rules with, with parents they only see occasionally and trying to make those deep connections that they're yearning for and the children are not getting those deep connections. We have single parents. Unfortunately, this can sometimes be, be no one's fault at all, but, but mom or dad are left to circumstances where they're trying as hard as they can to raise their kids on their own. We have uh, families with no parents. You know, I, I minister to children uh, week in and week out who are living with aunts and living with uncles and living with grandmas and living with grandpas and sometimes living with their friends because mom and dad are nowhere to be seen. We're, we're seeing children who are being raised by education systems, by the schools, and, and it's just a mess. And we wonder why we're seeing problems in our children's lives. And I know Brian has preached on this, and I know that he has given it due diligence, and I don't want to point any fingers. That's not what I'm here to do this morning. But what I am here to say is that our kids have the odds stacked against them. I believe it's 
harder now than perhaps it ever has been for our kids to relate to mom and dad. Harder for them to relate to whoever their caretakers, their guardians might be. And let me be very clear, it is not my job. God did not give me a mandate. God did not call me to raise kids. Here at Perimeter Road, we are very passionate about seeing families restored, about seeing marriages redeemed, about seeing husbands loving wives and wives submitting to husbands and wives respecting husbands and husbands giving themselves sacrificially for the betterment of their families. And I am committed to seeing children grow up in those families and coming alongside mom and dad so that the children have the best opportunity to learn discipleship at a young age that it may be something they live out for their entire life. But let me be very clear, it is not my job, it is not my calling, it is not my God-given mandate to raise children. I'm here to help. I'm here to be that, that seasoned old man, even though I'm short and pudgy and all of those things. I'm here to be that seasoned old man who, when he sees something that, that is out of control, I'm, I'm trying my very best, prayerfully and humbly, to reach out and offer some assistance. Uh, I, I haven't been a dad very long. Liam's not even two yet, and we have another one on the way. But it's a fun journey. Sometimes it's more fun than others. And uh, we've gotten to this habit of giving Liam a, a bath every, every day at a particular time. And so uh, not just a, a month ago, <clears throat> Claire had Liam on the changing table, and she was getting his dirty school clothes off, and we, we had the bath water running. And so I'm standing by idly watching. And as you could probably tell when I walked up here, I'm not the fittest guy, okay? I'm not like Brian. I'm not like Joby. I'm not super fit. I don't go to the Y and work out all the time, but I do the best I can, okay? So I'm, I'm sitting here watching Claire get Liam ready. And uh, my New Year's resolution, I don't know if you heard this, is to uh, be able to brush my teeth without my stomach jiggling. But <clears throat> be that as it may, <clears throat> I'm trying to find those little opportunities, maybe to go for a jog or, or whatever. So, so Liam's being changed. He's getting ready for his bath, and Claire is, is doing a great job with that. And so there's no, no need for me to pitch in and hold any feet or keep him from flailing about and falling off the changing table. So in his bedroom, while Claire's doing that, I plop down on the floor with a thud, obviously, and I, I start cranking out some push-ups. And... Uh, I'm not, I'm not paying attention to what Liam and Claire are doing, but Claire starts laughing hysterically because Liam has turned his attention to me, and he just thinks it's the funniest. And if I watched myself do push-ups, I'd probably think it's the funniest thing too. But Liam is laughing at me doing push-ups. And so Claire gets him down off the changing table. And so there Liam is in his birthday suit on his stomach, and he's just doing his arms like this. He's trying to imitate me doing push-ups. So I was worn out after three, and so then I watch him, and we laugh. And so that's become our new routine. While, while he's getting ready for bath time, I'll plop down and do four or five push-ups until I can't do any more. And, uh, and then Liam, he gets down on the floor with me. And he watches and he laughs and then he'll lay down on his stomach and he'll try to figure out what in the world, how do I do this push-up? And, and i got to be honest with you, uh, that fills my heart. It's those little things as a dad that, that fill my heart. And, and knowing that, that Liam is laughing and he's having a good time and, and that he's been hardwired by, by God to, to imitate me. 
I can't tell you how much joy and fulfillment that brings, but, but just as much as it warms my heart to see him laugh and cut up and, and imitate me as his dad, it, it grieves me deeply to know that he has a, a sin nature, a sin disease that he was born with through the fall, the, the great fall from Adam and Eve in, in the account given in Genesis chapter 3, they ate the forbidden fruit. And Romans chapter 5 tells us now that their sin nature is inherited by all of us. Liam and I are going to be at odds with each other. There are times that I see this now. He's only one year old. But when he's done eating, and regardless of how much food is left on his plate, uh, he lets us know that he's done by showing us how far he can throw his leftovers. No matter how many times we say, Liam, please leave your food on your plate. Please leave it on your plate. Please, you know, we're not even halfway through our meal, and, and Liam has eaten a couple of bites, and now it's, you know, showtime. We are at odds with each other. And that's a result of the fall. We see in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve broke trust with God. They put their own desires, their own lust for power, their own lust for control, their own lust for dominance in their relationships with each other above God's mandate. And as a result, we see all of these tragedies take place. We see now that, that ultimately man is, is separated. He is divided from God. We are at enmity with God, all of us, until Jesus Christ came and shed his blood so that we could once again have harmony with God through faith. But we are also divided from each other. We see that by, by the fact that, that Cain and Abel were two brothers who should have had a close brotherly, a, a Philadelphia type, not a Philadelphia, um, a, a Philia type love for each other. And instead we see murder take place. Man is separated from nature. Now we have to work by the sweat of our brow through the thorn and the thistle. And man is separated from his inner self. Now we have shame and guilt and so on and so forth. But what I want to focus on this morning is us being at odds with one another. Students, teens, children, kids, you're not always going to want to obey mom and dad. Nonetheless, we have this text, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Right out of the gate, Paul hits us with this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now what Paul is doing here in Ephesians chapter 6 is he's uh, recalling from the Old Testament, the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments, if you will. And, and we find this in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verses uh, 1 through 17. We find this in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 21. Uh, the, the command for uh, all of the Israelites, all of the Hebrew people that God has brought out of bondage. He's already rescued them from their captives. He's already brought them from Egypt and, and set them free, so to speak. And so now that they've been set free, he's saying, this is how you can honor me. And we get through the first four commandments. The first four commandments, by the way, deal with man relating to God. 
okay? Uh, do not take my name in vain. Do not put other gods before me, so on and so forth. And then we get to command chapter 5. Commands chapter five, commands 5 through uh, 10 deal with man relating to one another, not lusting after another man's wife, not cheating, not lying. And, of course, commandment number five is honor your parents. And so Paul is bringing this back, and he's reminding the people that this is very, very vital. That when Moses went atop Mount Sinai to be with the Lord, that this is what God spoke. And he gave us this this law, this list of, of commands to show us what he requires. And so we are to strive to obey these commands. The command here is for children. And all of us have that in common. We are all children. And all of us, from the the oldest down to the youngest, have a command to honor our parents. Primarily here in this text, in Ephesians chapter 6, we are dealing with children who are still living at home, okay? Paul is not necessarily bringing back uh, the command for all children to obey their parents, but what he's focusing and honing in on here is for students, 12th grade, college, if you live with your parents, on down, obedience. He's talking about obedience. What is the first thing he says here in Ephesians 6.1? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. We have a quote from Dr. Harold Honer. And as we're talking about obeying our parents in the Lord, we need to recognize those three words, in the Lord. Why did he say it like he did? Why did he write it like he did? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire him to pen those words to paper? Dr. Holner says, although not stated in the text, the best model children can have is Christian parents who are also obedient to the Lord. And then there is a plethora of references for him to back up that statement. Moms, dads, I would encourage you, if you have pen and pad, to take down those references and review them later because he put them there for us, for us to see what our calling is to be, to, for us to see what our responsibility and mandate should be. But in the meantime, Paul is referring to children living at home, still living under the roof of their parents, for them to obey their parents in the Lord. And what we have is is kind of a cycle. You have God at the top, you have uh, parents obeying God, and then you have children obeying their parents. And if this cycle is complete and we see all of of the parties uh, fulfilling their mandate, then what you have is God getting the glory. God is glorified because All persons on board are submitting themselves sacrificially with the attitude of Christ bringing God honor. Guys and gals, are you submitting yourself to your parents? And I'm looking here primarily, even though I I have students all over the room, but right here I have a big chunk of them sitting together. And so this is a very serious question. What does it look like for you to obey your parents? Now, we also have to wrestle with this question. What about children who don't have godly parents? 
I'm reminded of a, of a story that kind of hit the internet and kind of hit the news in recent weeks. We have this, this woman, she was 27-ish. I've heard different accounts, but she's 27. And uh, she was married to a Christian, but unfortunately her father... Uh, living in a Muslim country, her father was Muslim as well. And even though she was raised by her mom, and her mom was a Christian, she still had her father's name. She married a Christian, she became with child, and she was sentenced to be executed unless she recanted of her Christian faith because her father threw in the towel and said, I'm done. Now in that situation... Does God still command her to obey her father? No, not at all. The deal is that we have to honor God first. And when we do that, and this can be a tricky thing, especially in your teenage years, because our minds are so focused on uh, trying to, to make mom and dad happy so that we can do this, or make mom and dad happy so that they will give me this, or whatever the case may be, trying to walk that line finally, but also trying to please yourself. And I realize that I, you're... you're you're hearing this message from a very, very rebellious teen. But, but let me make one thing clear. When mom and dad are not on board, listen, God comes first. When mom and dad are not pleasing God, when mom and dad are not serving one another, when mom and dad are not putting God first in their life, you still have a mandate. You still have a God calling in your life to put him first. For example, I've been ministering to, to teens and kids for, for over 10 years now. And I've met literally thousands of kids, most of whom come from great stock. Mom and dad are doing awesome. They're doing the best they can. They're working their jobs hard. They're serving their families well, and they're pointing them to the cross. And I love that. Matt Chandler says it this way. As moms and dads, you can't guarantee that your kids will be saved. But what you can do is put enough spiritual kindling around their feet that you can also pray for the Holy Spirit to set it on fire. And when that happens, you can be rest assured that you played a role in that. Now, ultimately, we give all the glory to God. But moms and dads, are you doing that? Are you putting spiritual kindling around your child's life so that the Holy Spirit Spirit, when the time is ready, can set them ablaze for, with a passion for God. Kids, if you don't have that at home, I'm sorry. But that doesn't take away your responsibility. You are still called, set apart by God, to put Him first while obeying your parents within those bounds. Now, if your parents could care less if you're having premarital sex... God comes first. If your parents could care less if you are drinking and partying and cutting the fool, God comes first. If your parents could care less about your grades, God comes first. In doing that, in serving God, you are honoring mom and dad. When interacting with people, even our own parents, remember this. God only holds you accountable for your own actions. He holds them accountable for theirs. Guys and gals, you will be held accountable for your attitude towards your parents. You'll be held accountable for your thoughts towards your parents. You'll be held accountable for your words to your parents and especially your actions of obedience or disobedience to your parents. It might not always be fun. You may not always want to humble yourself and obey mom and dad. When I think of how a family operates, I think that an illustration of a, of a ship can offer some advice. We think of a ship uh, needing an entire crew 
to navigate. Now, obviously, every ship has a captain. He calls the shots. He turns the wheel. He tells the crew what to do and when to do it and how to do it. But if there's no one to hoist the sail while the captain is barking orders, the ship's going nowhere. In families, we we see the same dynamic. Every person is vital in a family. Kids, you play a huge, crucial role. Are you helping your mom and dad have a successful marriage? Are you just adding animosity? Are you causing so much strife and anguish that your parents are constantly wrestling with, how do we discipline you? How do we point you to the cross? How do we handle the situation that you've brought up? Rather than you making things easier. Are you pulling your weight in the house or are you constantly forcing mom and dad to not only do all the outside chores and all the inside chores, but also do all the cooking and do all the cleaning and do everything for you? Are, are, are you willing to pull your own weight? Because as a member of your family, you have a huge role in helping that ship, if you will, get from point A to point B successfully and safely. Are you pulling your weight? <clears throat> what does it mean to obey and honor. I think all of us as children need to ask that question. Dr. Holner says again, the children's ultimate obedience is to the Lord. We hit on that. And we fleshed that out and we looked at the, the intricacies of dealing with that. Ultimately, all of us, adults or kids, our allegiance is to the Lord. It is Christ who gave his life on the cross. It is Christ who spilled his blood for man. It is Christ who is exalted. And we owe our allegiance to him. And when our parents are faithfully serving the Lord, then we can both obey them, honor them, as well as keep God top priority. Our attitude towards our parents is in direct correlation with our attitude towards God. The way that we treat our parents, the way that we treat our neighbors, the way that we treat our children, the way that we treat every single person walking on the face of the planet directly correlates with our attitude towards God. And here's what I mean by that. The first four commands in the Ten Commandments, they deal directly with our hearts as it relates to God. And when we get our hearts right with the Lord, what does he tell us to do next? The next six commandments deal with our relationships with others. So once we get this right, as my former pastor would say, then we can get this right. But until we get our hearts right with God, we're always going to fail at dealing in our relationships. Always. Because dealing with people is not a personality issue. It's a heart issue. Romans chapter 12, verses 16 through 18. Read as follows. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give fault to to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. During my college years, I spent two summers uh, living in Branson, Missouri. And I was up there uh, serving on staff with Kennecut Camps. Kennecut Camps is... is, uh, Awesome organization. They have a great reputation. I would highly endorse anyone to work or attend Canacuck. One of the things that they beat into us as staff was kind of their their Canacuck motto. And we've seen this uh, through other organizations, but their motto was God first, other second, yourself third. Here in Romans chapter 12, what Paul is exhorting us to do is put God first, 
other people second and ourselves third. In your home, listen guys, moms and dads are striving to put each other first, to put you first, to put God first. I think as children, we need to have the same heart. The same heart of God comes first in my life, then what mom and dad want, then what I want. Obedience is tough, but so is the Christian faith. If it was easy, then it wouldn't be something that all people could do. But listen, we are called to struggle and to fight and to claw tooth and nail for humility under God's authority. We talk about honor and we talk about obedience and we're comparing and contrasting the two. Is, is there a distinction between honor and obedience? I think there is because sometimes honor supersedes our obedience. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2. If you would flip in your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 43. And we're going to read an account of Christ when he was a, a young boy. And I'll go ahead and start reading, beginning in verse 43. And when the feast ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began a search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking, asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress." And when he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to him. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus brought distress, as the scripture clearly tells us. And I want you to know that I take this very gingerly. I'm walking a fine line and I want to be very delicate with this passage so it's not to say that Jesus was being disobedient. Don't hear me say that. What I will say is that Jesus brought great distress to his parents. As a dad myself, I'm not inclined to say that when Liam brings me great distress that I view that as an act of obedience. Even still, Jesus honored his parents by teaching the rabbis when they were looking for him. Listen to me carefully. This wasn't exactly obedience to Mary and Joseph. It was much more than obedience. It was more than obedience to his parents because it was honor to God. Guys and gals, are you bringing honor to God? Because what happened at the end of that little uh, passage that we read? What did it say about Mary? What did it say about her heart? If you'll recall, she stored up and treasured all of those things in her heart. Jesus brought his parents honor. 
Because he was doing his father's business, his real father, his heavenly father, God on high. Y'all, we bring our parents honor when we put God first. That young lady in an Islamic country who is being tortured for her faith, she ultimately is bringing her father honor. Whether he realizes it or not, he is being honored because she will not recant because she has put God first because he has taken priority in her life. We must do the same thing. When it's inconvenient, when it's uncomfortable, when it forces us to get out of our comfort zone, we still put God first, and ultimately, He gets the honor. Then, as a ripple effect, our parents get the honor. That's what we are called to do. Obey our parents in the Lord and honor them. But ultimately, it is God the Father who takes priority in all of our lives. To honor one's parents means to value or prize them highly. Children living at home express this by obeying their parents. I don't want to hear anyone come up to me and say later, you know what, I want to obey my parents, but they won't let me go hang out with this friend, and so uh, I need to witness to them, and they need to come to church, and I'm just being a missionary at school, and even though my parents don't want me hanging out with them, I still need to reach out and be a good Christian. No, 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 no. Honor God by obeying your parents. If you have a godly mom and dad, it would be wise to humble yourself, get down on your knees, pray, and thank God for that blessing. And pray and pray and pray and pray some more that God will give you a humble spirit that even when you can't understand why your parents have put commands or rules or priorities in your life, that you will still humbly obey them. Because honoring God means obeying your parents. Are you living honorably? Children, teens, students, kids, are you honoring God by obeying your parents? How do we do that? I'm going to give some very practical solutions here. And then I want to get into a spiritual conversation following that. Obedience looks like this. The seven-year-old girl cleaning her bedroom when she is told. Or accepting her dad's answer when she's not allowed to to buy a toy at checkout. uh, When you're shopping for groceries at Publix. This looks like the ten-year-old boy not not pestering his mom and dad. and, And pleading and begging and begging. Can I please spend the night with Johnny? Can I please go over there? No, you can't. Okay, I accept that. This looks like the 13-year-old man uh, getting himself out of bed early in the morning on Saturday and and helping mom and dad out around the house with chores and with yard work so that he can lighten their load. This looks like the the 16-year-old young man or young woman accepting mom and dad's decisions uh, that they're not allowed to date, that they're not allowed to go to this social gathering, that they're not allowed to uh, associate with these kinds of people uh, because they realize that mom and dad have their best interest at heart. Listen to me, guys. Moms and dads, especially Christian parents, they are looking out for us. They have our best interest in mind when they give us these rules. It's just like Liam. Uh, a lot of times we'll find ourselves coming straight home at the end of a, of a long day, and we've got Liam in the back of the car seat, and before we can even get to the front door, you know, he wants to play. And so we're out in the front yard, and we've got his little car that we push him around in, and I might turn on the sprinkler and watch him go crazy running around in the sprinkler or whatever the case may be. But ultimately, almost always, he ends up running down the driveway and trying to get into the road. Now, he might think I'm being a little bit unreasonable 
when I go over to them and I say, Liam, here's the line right here. And we have these kind of divided concrete pads in our driveway. So it's easy to give him a boundary. And I'll put them on this side and I'll say, no, 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 no. And I'll put them on this side and I'll say, yes, 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 yes. And then I'll look at him and he'll just keep going back and forth. I don't know if he understands it or not. But my heart is this. I'm looking out for Liam. Because on this side of the road, he's three feet away from the highway. I care about him. I want what's best for him. I don't want him to end up as a, as a splattered mess in the street. Teenagers, listen to me. When mom and dad are giving you rules and regulations, 99% of the time it's for your best interest. Well, they don't want you hanging out with this group of people. You know who they're thinking about? Not them. They're thinking about you. They're thinking about who do I want my child to become? Who do I want them to be when when they're adults and they have their own children? How do I want them to respond to certain pressures in life? And how do I want them to respond to certain adversities in life? I'm taking care of you. I have this rule in place because it benefits you. Just like all of us, guys, as God is our Father, He has these benefits in place to protect us for our betterment, for His glory, for His honor, not to make our lives miserable. I promise. It's to make our lives full of joy. College men, college women, what are you doing when you go off to college to honor mom and dad? Parents of young kids, I throw myself in that. What are you teaching your kids that honors mom and dad? Grandparents, How are you honoring your own mom and dad by the way that you treat your children and your grandchildren? The cycle is ongoing. When we put God first, that's honor. When we obey our parents, that's honor. When we submit ourselves humbly to another person's rules and regulations because God has instituted that authority over our lives, that's honor. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Let me be very clear. We don't do this as a back-scratching attitude. What do I mean by that? It it can't be motivated by back-scratching. I can't obey mom and dad because if I do, then they'll let me go to the party. That's a wrong motivation. That's a wrong heart. Your heart is out of line. I find myself falling into this trap quite a bit. I'm just going to read it verbatim. When we as young adults show respect to our parents because we are still helping, because they are still helping out financially, or because we desire to get in good with their business associates, or because we want to use uh, their vacation house, or because we want them to fill our cars with gas, or because we want them to cook us dinner on Sunday afternoon, or because we want this, we want this, we want this. Listen, that's nothing more than social networking. That's not honor. You don't serve someone so you can get something in return. Children, we don't obey our parents so that they will give us the latest and greatest gadget. We don't obey our parents so that we can then have more freedom in our social lives. We don't obey our parents so that uh, our backs are scratched. So why do we? Before we get there, let me, let me say this. I know that Rick Warren is not everyone's favorite Bible teacher, but I think he's dead on 
with this quote. The Bible teaches that we are to love people and use money. Now, as I'm talking about networking and backscratching, think of this. The Bible teaches that we are to love people and use money. But we often get that reversed. And you start loving money and using people to get more money. Let me restate that. The Bible teaches that we are to put people first and stuff way, 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 way down on the list. And this is true with God as well. We are to love God and not stuff. We are to love him over his blessings, okay? Because what we fall into is when we start loving God because of what he gives us, then we are making his stuff an idol. And when the stuff stops coming, then our love for God is hindered because we were focused on the wrong thing to begin with. What are you going to do when when your child gets sick? Are you still going to love God? What are you going to do when your your parents pass away? Are you still going to love God? What are you going to do when you get fired from your job? Are you still going to love God? What are you going to do when you wreck your car? Are you still going to love God? Sure, everybody, as John Piper would say, loves God when times are great. Give me a new car? Sure, I'll love God. Put money in my bank account? Sure, I'll love God. Children, you're saying, uh, if, if I obey mom and dad, they'll give me money. They'll give me a car. They'll give me a new cell phone. They'll give me time with my friends. They'll give me more freedom. Sure, I'll obey my parents. That is the wrong heart motive. We obey our parents because it brings honor to the Lord. We obey God because that's what he requires of us. And because Jesus Christ, when he shed his blood on the cross, when he spilled his blood, he made a way for us to be unslaved from our chains of bondage and sin so that we could then obey. We are moving in the right direction. When we trust that God has our best intentions at heart. We are hitting the nail on the head. When we obey and honor God. Because it reflects our heart for God. A child's honor and obedience to the parents. Is the first important step in learning to honor and obey God. If a child dishonors and disobeys the parent. Y'all listening to this? He or she will most likely have the same attitude towards God. The reason that God deals first with our relationship with Him in the first four commands is because that's where it starts. If we're disobeying our parents, that gets us into an attitude, into a model of disobeying God. But if we're obedient to our parents, if we're submitting ourselves to to mom and dad, that gets us into an attitude and a model of obeying and honoring God. Remember, the first four commandments. The first thing we have to get right is our heart. This isn't a personality issue. This isn't a people issue. This isn't a discipline issue. This is very much a heart issue. Husbands, loving your wives is a heart issue. Because you love God, you should love your wife. The husband who doesn't love his wife doesn't love God. Wives, because you love God, you should love your husband. The wife who doesn't love her husband doesn't love God. Children, you should love your parents because you love God. The child who disobeys his parents isn't loving God. It's very much connected. Listen to what Jared Pastor Jared C. Wilson says concerning obedience and concerning our hearts and concerning how it reflects the grace of the Father. He says, so I obey God's commands then, not because I think it's good for society or because it inspires others to be nicer as a sort of karmic, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. Ah, there it is. 
or even merely because God said so, although that's the hinge upon which worshipful obedience really turns. No, I obey God's command to honor my parents and not to lie, to steal, to murder, to have sex with someone other than my wife and covet because I love my parents and my neighbor. And even though we all deserve to have the worst done to us, it is ultimately an act of grace. We commit it out of love to give them the best of myself. By obeying God's command to live rightly, I am demonstrating to others the grace I've been given and extending it beyond myself to others. On Wednesday nights during our Bible study, we call that 229, we meet upstairs and all of us middle school and high school kids, yeah, I threw myself into that loop. Uh, we've been talking about Ruth, the book of Ruth, and, and just learning uh, from, from the biblical text what it means to live a life of grace. And what we've learned thus far is that Ruth did not owe Naomi anything. Naomi turned her back on Ruth. If, if you want to go home and read those four short chapters, please do, and you'll learn a lot there. But what Naomi did was basically put her hand up to Ruth and say, no, 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 no. I'm done with you. Forget it. I came all the way here and God has destroyed my entire life. And now I'm going back to where I came from, and I don't want you with me. So you just need to stay here, and I'm going on home. But what do we learn from Ruth? She clung to Naomi. She fought for that relationship. She dug in deep, and she refused to compromise. She refused to let sin have its way. And she worked hard and she toiled and she labored in the fields, not only to provide for herself, but so that Naomi wouldn't starve to death. And slowly, slowly, slowly but surely, her bitter mother-in-law realized the grace that was flowing from Ruth's heart. That's what we are to do. Even when we are at odds with our moms and dads, even when we are at odds with one another, even when we have uh, huge fights and disagreements in the family, what we are called to is model grace. Because Christ modeled that for us. Philippians chapter 2, what does it tell us? That Christ, even though he was God, refused to act as God while on the earth, but instead he adopted the attitude of a servant. And he became what? Obedient. Christ became obedient to death in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And he humbled himself on a cross as he modeled grace because he knew without that obedience, grace wouldn't flow. We would have no chance. We would be eternally separated by a great chasm that would never be bridged unless he gave it his all on the cross. If there's one thing that the law, the Decalogue, the Old Testament, if there's one thing the law makes painfully obvious, it is that we are all in desperate need for a Savior. We are starving for a Redeemer. That Redeemer is Christ. Christ who didn't deserve to die on a cross, didn't have to die on a cross, became obedient 
And we are called to model that obedience out of our love for what he did for us. Because he's God and he gets to call the shots, we are uh, given a mandate to follow his example and become obedient in whatever way we are asked to. Moms and dads, you're supposed to be obedient to God. Children, you're supposed to be obedient to your parents and to God. Obedience is part of the Christian life because Jesus gave it all. We too are to give it all. And that's what we are called to do. My question now is, are you living in obedience? Because if you're not obeying God, then everything else is falling apart. I firmly believe that. Where's your heart? As we draw this to a close this morning and we enter into our time of response, sure, I know that practically there are some things that you can go home and do and put some principles in place and and begin to have some obedience in your life. But the question I have that needs to be taken care of in the here and now is where is your heart? You know, I care about Liam. I like to think that at the end of the day, if me giving my life would be to his betterment, that me as a good father would lay down my life. We are focused on Memorial Day and we are remembering people who gave their life for the betterment of others. There's no greater person than Christ. He should be fixed foremost in our minds. Where do you stand with Christ? Are you obeying Christ? Are you honoring Christ? Has he been given priority in your life? It's by his blood that we are saved. Are you having faith? Right now, are you being found in faith for Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word and I thank you for this text in Ephesians and I thank you for inspiring Paul to pin these words down. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin in our hearts, Lord, and that we would respond with obedience. Lord, that we would willfully repent and plead for forgiveness and we would turn from our sin and begin to follow you obediently in all the things that we do. Lord, I pray for our moms, I pray for our dads, I pray for our children, I pray for our families. God, that the family and the church would come together, that we would fight for godliness in our culture. God, I pray for the hearts represented here. Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, that you would draw them to faith. God, thank you for the cross. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.